Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going. So if you have your Bibles and want to poke there or turn there. So what I want to do is work through the story of Jonah um, and then talk about what does it have to do with us and what we can learn from the story of Jonah. Um, Oh my goodness. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Joel, Amos. I may have to use my table of contents. It's that bad. There it is, after Obadiah. Mine's on page 1013, 1013 if you need it. That helps you. All right. So let's talk about Jonah chapter 3. Um, and then we're going to talk through a couple of different things related to it. And then we'll challenge us in the process. So let's read the whole thing. Jonah chapter 3. Here we go. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth or width or length. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people in Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that it is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace that when we turn from sin and turn from ways that you've called us to remove from our lives, you relent and you extend your grace and mercy to us. And I pray that we would be able to do that um, and make it an everlasting part of our life. And I assist your mighty name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so some of you guys have been church for a little while. There's this idea in Jonah where, in Jonah chapter 3, he goes and does what he's finally told to do. He's out of the fish. And he goes and preaches a message that basically says, repent or God's going to destroy you. You've got 40 days to figure it out. And they immediately start repenting. To the best of your ability, if someone asked you, what does repent mean, what would you tell them? Okay, ask God for forgiveness. Change your ways. Anybody else want to take a shot? The answer is yes to both. Well done. You both get gold stars at the end of the night. Okay. There'll be more gold stars being given out later. You'll have your opportunity. Okay. Uh, Yes. You are telling God you're sorry. And in the process of that, repentance says it leads to a change of action. So repentance would be a change in action, a thought, something that you believed needs to change, go a different direction. So if I'm going this way and go, I'm going the wrong way, you're not going to keep going that way. You're going to turn around and go the other direction. We know that the Ninevites did that because there's evidence. 
In Jonah chapter 3, what is the evidence that we see from them that says they are repenting? What did they do? They fasted. Fasted? What does that mean? Okay, no food. What else did they do? Get up what? Okay, gave up their stuff, the robe. He took that off. Caleb, did I hear you going for it? Prayed more. Good. Sackcloth and ashes. Poured ashes on their head. Good. So we see actions of things that they did. Fasting, no food, which also leads to pain. I don't know if you've ever had hunger pains before or you've been hangry. Have y'all ever been hangry before? Like you're so hungry you get angry. Um, Some of you may get anxious. The heart rate starts going. You start getting nervous and start, ah! Okay, that's a sign of hunger uh, or hunger pain. The sackcloth, um, it was likely made of goat or camel, which means it's very rough. It's probably itchy, so it's not cotton. It's not soft. It's not comfortable. So it would have been painful. So there was a sign that said there's evidence of a change. In the New Testament, same thing. Everybody remember the uh, story of Zacchaeus? You know, he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he? Perhaps you didn't know, but he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Lord was, I'm stopping, okay. Y'all get the idea. But at the end of the story, what does he, the Bible trivia question, at the end of the story, what does he tell Jesus he's going to do? Because he's repenting. Yeah, he starts giving, he's like, I'm going to give generously back to anybody that I'm wrong. I know we're in the Old Testament. If I ask you a New Testament thing, it just blows your mind. I'm not prepared for New Testament. I'm focused on Old Testament. I get it, okay? Uh, but yeah, there's, there's New Testament evidence as well of a change of heart or a change of direction, that things are going to be different. So let me give you some backstory here. Can I give you some history of these Ninevites? Um, we're going to go a little deeper. This is fascinating stuff. Um, the Ninevites are part of a country called Assyria. So they're Assyrians by nature. This would be north and east of Israel. So this would be like Somerville. Some y'all, okay. Um, they're a little bit meaner than the Somerville people. So if you're from Somerville, you're nice people. I'm not equating you to anybody from Somerville, but kind of north and east of, of where we are. Um, Chattanooga, that direction. <clears throat> Let me tell you what one commentary said about these Assyrians. These people are cruel and intimidating. Here's what they do, all right? The Assyrians were notorious for amputating hands and feet, gouging eyes and skinning and impaling their captives. So impaling would be the idea of putting you on a pike, a pole with a, with a sharp point on it and just ramming you on it so everybody could see you. We don't do that in church very often, do we? No, no. No, I'm pretty sure we'll, we won't do that. That's disgusting. But they did it in order to intimidate their enemies. So they would take a few people and make examples of the others. These were ruthless, nasty people. All right. Um, turn a little bit over to Hosea. All right. So that's another minor prophet. I got to remember where Hosea is in this story. I think it's backwards. Yes. Go left. We're going to go to Hosea chapter 13, verse 16. 
All right, so the, the plan was because the minor prophets, their job was to announce judgment on Israel. Now, just to give you a, story, a little bit of history of the Bible, we, we know history encumbers 12 tribes of Israel at one point. Well, they've now split. All right, there's 10 tribes, or really 11 tribes, that will split and go with what's called the northern kingdom, and they're known as Israel, and there will be a southern kingdom known as Judah. The Israel kingdom, the, the northern kingdom, just immediately goes bad. They do not follow Yahweh at all. all right, so God is going to announce judgment on them. Verse 16, because the Ninevites will eventually do what I just described to you, they will do to the northern kingdom. Look at verse 16 in Hosea chapter 13. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. That's in the Bible. That's gross. That's harsh. Because these people chose not to just not follow God. They chose to completely reject God. So then this Assyrian group that Jonah has gone to, and said, you guys need to repent because God is going to destroy you. God is giving them a chance to get right before him. The group that impels people, gouges their eyes, will rip open pregnant women because they don't want to deal with the babies when they're born on the journey. They'll just kill them both. It's this group of people that God is extending an opportunity to repent. So why does this happen? Why is the story of Jonah written for these Israelites? Two reasons. One, it shows that God is not partial to anyone who wants to repent. So these Ninevites have an opportunity. Everyone has an opportunity if the Ninevites can have an opportunity to repent. So I know in the Old Testament we say God's a God of wrath and God is, the Israelites are God's chosen people. But what you see in the Old Testament time and time again is that God is extending an opportunity for anyone to have a relationship with him, even in the Old Testament. We see that all the way back from the very beginning as they enter the promised land with the story of Rahab and the battle of Jericho. That God extends an opportunity for, them to, for people who have faith and want to turn their hearts and lives to God to follow him can have an opportunity to do so. The other side of it is a slap in the face to the Jews who will read this because they're not following after God. And here is a ruthless, nasty people who do nasty, horrible things choosing to follow after God. So it's like, you are God's chosen people and you're not doing it? These are these ruthless people and they're choosing to do it. So if they can do it, surely you can choose to repent. So why did they repent? Great question. So glad you asked. Based on what I can tell, I'm going to give you big picture history of where we're at in the story and then the rest of the story. And you older people in the room will know what I mean by the rest of the story because there was a guy named Paul Harvey on radio and he would give you the rest of the story. I'm going to give you the rest of the story. Why did they repent? I think they repented because they were afraid of being punished. Have you ever gone to mom and dad and said, I'm sorry? And the only reason you said I'm sorry is because you were hoping, just maybe, in the back of your mind, if I'm saying I'm sorry... Maybe they won't ground me. No, I know. Maybe if I admit that what I did was wrong, I can avoid being punished. I think that's what was happening with the Ninevites, because here's the rest of the story. Their repentance was actually temporary. 
30 years after Jonah goes in and says, repent because God's going to destroy you. They go back to their old habits. 30 years later, they will destroy Israel. What Hosea says they're going to do, they actually do. 30 years after that, so 60 years after Jonah, they try to attack Jerusalem, which is called the southern kingdom, but they will be thwarted. They won't actually be attacked. What's fun is a little bit later in Nahum, man, y'all are just getting some awesome minor prophet stuff today. Flip over to Nahum, if I can find it, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. In Nahum chapter 2, Nahum actually speaks against Nineveh, calls them out again. So Nahum chapter 2, verses 8 and 13 says, verse 8 says, Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. And then 13, the lion tore enough from his cubs and strangled prey for his lightnesses. He, he filled his carcasses with prey and his dens with torn flesh. Being, saying, the things that you have done will be done to you. And actually that will happen. Because a hundred years after that, so 160 years after Jonah has said repent, and they did, they go back to their own ways. 160 years later, the Babylonians, who will take the southern kingdom into exile, before they do that, they will go in and actually destroy the Assyrians and kill them all. So it was temporary. It didn't last. And all they were trying to avoid was being punished from an enemy god. And they avoided it temporarily. It served its purpose, which was to show that God was willing to allow anybody who wants to follow God an opportunity to repent and to challenge the Jews to actually start following after God, even though they weren't. So, okay, so that's the Old Testament, Brent, that's great. How does that apply to the New Testament? So I am going to ask you a question and I want a response. Does God still punish sin? Yes. Usually when they ask the question, I thought the answer was Jesus, but that didn't fit. Yes, he still does. Does the New Testament say stuff similar? Are there instances in the New Testament similar to what Jonah did, which is repent? God wants you to repent. Can you think of some instances in the New Testament, perhaps the Gospels, where someone goes around and says, repent, repent, repent? I know, we went to the New Testament. You weren't supposed to do that, Brent. What are you doing? Who was a big, hairy guy in the New Testament that went around and yelled, repent, repent, repent? John the Baptist. Big, hairy, ate bugs, wore camel. Yep, he did it. Jesus did it too. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So Old Testament and New Testament, we're running the pretty much the same story. Repent, for God will judge sin. And so, is there still a need to repent of sin in the time period in which we live in today? Yeah, probably. I'd say so. So let's look at some examples, shall we? Let's go to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3. Oh, I know where Colossians is. Thank you for so much for getting out of those minor prophets.
Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Everybody good? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Okay, I'll stop there. So what I thought might be fun is, you know what, let's just go around the room. And since we all said, yes, there's still sin in the world in which we live today, we should all go around and name the sin that we're dealing with right now from this list. And I think we should just all go around the room right now and do that, okay? So we're going to start. <laughs> what was going through your mind as I was saying that? Because I know what's going through mine. Oh, snap! <laughs> what was going through your mind with the thought that you might have to actually say something? Other than I'm perfect, Brent, I really wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> Which one of these is the lightest on my load that everybody go, oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> what we're also saying is there's more than one on the list that applies to us, right? What else? What else is going through your mind if you had to explain to someone, this is what I'm dealing with this on this list? Oh, then we got to go to the root of the problem. Mm. We have to get real and honest with each other. Ooh, can't do that. We're at church. You know what we do at church, right? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing great. I just love Jesus. We're dying on the inside. We're struggling, but we can't admit that at church because then we wouldn't look godly. We wouldn't look like we love Jesus. It would be terrifying. My heart would be pounding on my chest if I had to stand in front of you and go, let's see, out of this list, this is what I'm dealing with today. Because you're right, it would be more than one. So we've all admitted, by your facial expressions, because I saw them, that we still got work to do, right? We're not alone. That's the good news. You're not the only one in the room that has something on this list. If I might say that should give you some comfort that we often believe the lie, I am the only one in the world dealing with this problem. And that's a lie of Satan. It's not true. We're all dealing with sin. But then the question is, though, is there a way to deal with sin where it's not tem temporary like the Ninevites? Because here's what we often do with sin. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We might even do that at camp one night during a week of camp where the move, the move of God or, you know, we got Collide coming up in a couple of months. The movement of God is so rich. I'm just going to go to tell God I'm sorry. And then two days later, we're right back doing it again. Sometimes we do that out of fear of being punished. 
I don't want to go to hell. Hell sounds like a terrible place. I don't want to go there. God, please forgive me on my sin. Now, it's not wrong to be motivated by that. What I want to challenge you with tonight is God actually wants more for you than that. He doesn't want you just to avoid hell. He wants you to have a relationship. The same thing he was trying to get the Ninevites and the Jews to do in the Old Testament, which is have a relationship with me, is the same thing he's trying to do in the New Testament, which is throw that stuff off. Let's go in relationship together. Let's do life together. So let's stop trying to avoid hell and let's go do life. That's what God is wanting, and that's the permanent solution to avoid God's judgment, is relationship. So scoot back up, if we may, to Colossians chapter 2. Look with me at verses 13 through 15. This is what God wants for us as New Testament believers. He says, And and you, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's the old you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Who was on the cross? I'm pretty sure the answer is Jesus this time. Yes, it is Jesus this time. Good. Okay. Jesus died on the cross and he took on that sin. And so that wrath... That judgment that God was going to do in the Old Testament, that wrath he mentioned in Colossians chapter 3 that comes with all the stuff that we were trying to avoid having to say in public, God poured his wrath on Jesus and the sin that was there so you and I wouldn't have to deal with that. We get to avoid judgment. We get to avoid hell. So by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Here's what the rulers and authorities were trying to do. Thumb you down from living the life that God wants you to live. Because the rulers and authorities would keep going, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, but I'm good enough. But you're not good enough. There's no way you'll ever be good enough. You can't measure up. And what God is saying is, no joke, you can't measure up. That's why I took care of it through Jesus Christ. So come have a relationship with me through Jesus Christ. That's what's permanent. In the Old Testament, it was through covenant relationship, and God made that covenant relationship permanent through Jesus Christ. So what should our response be to that permanent solution? Let's look at Colossians chapter 3 again. Verse 1. And then we'll skip down a little bit further. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. <clears throat> Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you should also appear with Him in glory. Basically, verse 5, put it to death, the other stuff. Get rid of it. Stop. But don't leave that void Go pursue Jesus. Go pursue Jesus with everything you have. Skip down to verse 10. Put on that new self. That old stuff's over and done. God has already paid the price for that. Quit trying to keep picking it up and pursuing it because it won't work. It won't last. The relationship with Jesus is what will last. 
Verse 10, it had put on the new self, which being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, which is that putting on the, set your mind on things above. You keep doing the relationship with Jesus, this other stuff, the getting rid of the other stuff gets easier. Because the renewing of your mind makes it easier. Uh, verse 11 says, there's no difference between who you are, it all works. Verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything towards in perfect harm, together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's what we do on Sunday mornings and on Sunday nights in small groups. Uh, singing hymns and, and spiritual songs, which is what we do on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, which is what we should be doing Monday through Saturday. Everything we do should be about that relationship with Jesus. Notice the difference between the first group and the second group. The first group is about a bunch of bad stuff that usually leads to tension in relationships. So boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, best friend relationships, mom and dad relationships. All those things create tension and disunity in the body of Christ in any relationship that we have. The second <laughs> stuff, which is what we just listed, is all about working together and doing life together so that we can do Jesus together. So the vertical relationship of setting your mind on Jesus is what starts the permanent role and desire for repentance. And then the rest of it is the icing on the cake because that's what helps us in our relationship with other people. So rather than just a trying to avoid hell, my challenge to you tonight is don't let that be a temporary solution. Find the permanent solution, which is pursuing that relationship with Jesus Christ. And might I just suggest this, that God is not going to strike you dead if you don't have your quiet time in the morning. Because what he wants is the other 23 and a half hours of the day too, just to have relationship with you. That's what he wanted the Ninevites, and it didn't last very long because all they were afraid of is just avoiding punishment. But what God is desiring of us is an opportunity to have a relationship. And so we've got a couple of minutes before the rugrats show up, the little, the little tykes. And so what I would like to do is Ben just come up and play a little bit. And just give you a moment to pause and reflect on that list and offer you an opportunity at repentance to permanently change the way you think and therefore change the way you act. Will you choose to do something differently tonight than what you were doing before you came in here? Will you set your mind on things above? Will you set your mind on Christ and pursue that relationship wholeheartedly <laughs> as opposed to pursuing the other things as quick fixes to maybe something that God could feel in your heart. So what I want us to do in just, a few, just for a few moments is just to bow our head and close our eyes and allow you just to have a few moments to do business with God because that's what God wants. God wants relationship with you. Most of you in this room, I'm guessing, already have a relationship with Christ. You've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this is just about going deeper and harder into that relationship. But some of you in this room may never have had that relationship with Jesus. And so what this is, is an opportunity for you to go, you know what, God? I have tried to just say I'm sorry, but not actually pursued relationship. And it's time I give my heart to you. And you might just accept Christ for the first time tonight. And I think that would be awesome if you did. 
In fact, I would love to hear about it later on tonight. Just go, you know what? Hey, Brent, I accepted Christ tonight. I would love to hear about that after service is over. So, Ben, you play. I'm going to pray. You just do spend a few moments just doing business with God, you and him. Look through that list. If there's something God wants to challenge you with, don't run from it. You and God do business together. Let me pray for you. Father, you've spoken tonight, and I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to speak even after we close this Bible. That, God, you would pursue us in relationship, and thank you for that pursuit. May we, in turn, turn back into you in that same vein and love you with our lives and live that out. Lord, lead us to repentance tonight and ask this in your mighty name. Amen.